Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Everyday Black History. Happy Monday to you all out there. I hope you had a great start to your week. I hope you had an even better weekend as well. So today, since we're still in uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, we're still honoring our brothers and sisters, our Latin brothers and sisters of African descent. And today we're going to be highlighting two people. And uh, the first one is a man by the name of Dr. Raul Creo. And he is a uh, Colombian professor of microbiology and um, who is also a scientist and an inventor as well. From 1988 to 2012, he was a professor at Prairie View, uh, Texas A&M University, where he researched biological resistance to ultraviolet light. Uh, the work was supported in part by NASA, which led to at least one publication and a patent that, um, as well. Uh, he is uh, known to um, have about 13 patents, 13 or 14 patents uh, to his name. And he is uh, portrayed by uh, Colombian media as one of the greatest scientists in the world and is internet and uh, was internationally acknowledged as one of the greatest Colombian inventors and uh, he's contributed to over 100 publications in uh, different scientific journals and um, he also won awa- um, awards from NASA as well since 2012 he's been the research director of uh, International Park of Creativity which is an organization in which he's the founder and the organization's aim is invention and discovery. And, you know, the interesting thing about uh, Dr. Raul Crero is that he, you know, grew up very poor from a poor family. And it was said that for entertainment and distraction, he used to observe uh, roaches. And for him to come from that to being a world-renowned um, scientist is, is amazing. He received his, uh, his uh, PhD in microbiology um, his Master's of Science in Plant Pathology from Ohio State University and his Bachelor's of Science from Heidelberg University. So he's a very educated man and he's um, contributed much and he, was, he received you know, many honors from different organizations for, for his work and for his research. And as well, you know, as we mentioned, he's an inventor of... Uh, um, thir- uh, he received uh, 13 or 14 patents, one of which uh, is in use by NASA. So, Dr. Raul Crero, we thank you for your contribution to Black history and Black culture, and we salute you. And uh, since you're still around, you know, doubt you can continue to contribute more to the culture and to our history. Now, the second person we're highlighting today is a man by the name of uh, Pe- Pedro Campos, Pedro Albizu Campos. I hope I'm saying that right. And he was a Puerto Rican attorney, politician, and the leading figure uh, in the uh, Puerto Rican independence movement. He was very intelligent, gifted in six languages. He spoke six languages and two classical languages, like Latin and ancient Greek, as well as, you know, you know French, uh, Italian, German, Portuguese, English, and you know, one more I'm missing. But six languages. He graduated from Harvard Law School. He also went to the University of, of of uh, Vermont, transferred to Harvard, went to Harvard Law School, had the highest grade point average in his law class, and was even uh, 
uh, given the, the right, he earned the right to give the valedictorian speech at his graduation ceremony, but because of, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his blackness, his mixed racial heritage, but because of his blackness, it led to professors there delaying two of his final exams in order to keep him from graduating on time and prevent him from being the valedictorian of that class with the highest GPA. Um, but, you know, we'll get into that a little later. Uh, but during his time at Harvard in the military, it, uh, um, it uh, sparked the flame of activism inside of him. And uh, he became a leading figure, the president and spokesperson for the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party from 1930 until his death in 1965. Um, he was a very good speaker. He was hailed as El Maestro, the teacher. And he was even in prison for 26 years, not consecutively, but 26 years throughout his life he was in prison for his attempts to overthrow the U.S. government in Puerto Rico and for his fight for independence. And just a little background information on him. He was born September 12, 1891 in Ponce, Puerto Rico. Uh, his mom was of African descent, African ancestry. She was a domestic worker. His dad was um, come from a, Span- uh, a family of Spanish immigrants. And, um, you know, he Pedro came from an educated family, um, which allowed him to excel, you know, in school. Unfortunately, he didn't grow up around his parents. His mom died when he was young, and his dad didn't acknowledge him until he was at Harvard University. But um, Pedro went Pedro went to, uh, he graduated from Ponce High School, which was a public school for the city's white elite. And he did so well that he was awarded a scholarship in 1912 to study engineering, specializing in chemistry at the University of Vermont. And in a year, and in a year's time, and by 1913, he transferred to Harvard University to continue his studies there. Um, at the outbreak of World War I, uh, he volunteered for the U.S. Infantry. And um, he was commissioned a second lieutenant in the Army in the city of uh, Ponte. And um, he served in the regular Army, and after he finished his training... Um, he was assigned to the 375th Infantry Regiment, was, which was a, a all-black unit. And um, any Puerto Rican who was, uh, you know, obviously of African descent, they were put into all-black units. And the 375th unit was one of those units. Um, now he was discharged in 1919, and um, but he talked about his exposure to racism during this time in the US, U.S. military, which altered his perspective on the United States and the United States-Puerto Rico relations. And um, it led to him becoming an advocate for uh, Puerto Rican independence. When he returned to Harvard, he uh, uh, got involved in uh, different independence movements like the Indian independence uh, movement during that time and even the Irish independence. He helped establish several centers in Boston. Um, he uh, met uh, different Irish leaders and became a consultant in drafting of the Constitution of the Irish Free State. Um, while at Harvard, he also uh, got involved in other uh, organizations, Knights of Columbus, and you know, along with other Catholic students, he always got involved in this kind of uh, these kind of movements and activism. Uh, when he graduated from Harvard Law School um, in 1921. He studied literature, philosophy, chemical engineering, and military science. You know, just to show you how smart this brother was. 
In those six languages, it was English, Spanish, French, German, Portuguese, Italian. And the two classical languages was Latin and uh, Ancient Greek. But, um, you know, he graduated from law school. He received, you know, great job opportunities. Um, uh, but unfortunately, he didn't get his law degree on time because, as we mentioned earlier, he was the victim of racial discrimination. Uh, the professor didn't want him to be, to be the valedictorian because he uh, uh, wanted to avoid to, he wanted to avoid the embarrassment of a Puerto Rican law valedictorian. So Pedro just left the United States. He took and passed the the exams that he needed to pass in Puerto Rico, and he received his degree by mail on uh, June in 1922. He passed the bar exam in Puerto Rico and was admitted to the bar in Puerto Rico just two years later. Now, uh, his early uh, um, um, efforts in uh, the nationalist movement, uh, he joined in 1924, but the movement had already started. Uh, national activists, they wanted independence from foreign banks, absentee plantation owners, and U.S. colonial rule. And three different groups uh, formed came together to form the uh, Puerto Rican independence movement. As mentioned, he joined in 1924 and was elected vice president. And just in, and by 1927, he was traveling to Santo Domingo, Haiti, Cuba, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Venezuela, just trying to get support from other Latin Americans for the movement. Uh, but uh, due to differences in opinion, there was, there was a split in the Puerto Rican independence movement, uh, the Nationalist Party, rather, and... Uh, Pedro was elected president in 1930, and he established a women's nationalist committee, um, uh, the, which was the first of its kind. But uh, he um, got involved immediately with uh, different uh, movements, uh, like there were the strike. He led a strike against the Puerto Rico Railway and Light and Power Company for its uh, alleged monopoly of the island as well as representing sugarcane workers as a lawyer in a suit against the United States sugar industry. Um, and because of these movements, a lot of violence was escalated against them. Some of their members were killed by the police during un unrest at the University of Puerto Rico in 1935, which was uh, known as a massacre. And the, the uh, police were commanded by a former United States Army officer, a man by the name of Colonel E. Francis Riggs, who in turn was assassinated um, by uh, two members of the Cadets of the Republic, which was a uh, nationalist youth organization. And they assassinated Colonel Riggs, and uh, after they were arrested, they were killed without a trial at police headquarters in San Juan. Other marchers and bystanders were killed in the Ponte Massacre in 1937. So, you know, things got, you know, really, in, you know, intense where people started to die and it started to get bad because of um, because of the movement. And uh, April 3rd, 1936, a grand jury uh, submitted indictments against uh, um, Campos, uh, Pedro, uh, Pedro Campos, and um, other members who uh, were, you know, with him at the time and were supporters of his. Members of the cadets, as they were called, they were charged with sedition and other violations of the uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Code. And he uh, was in jail for uh, about 11 years. He was imprisoned. And there were people who uh, tried to 
uh, fight for him because he was, you know, railroaded, obviously. Um, you know, he didn't have a chance. You know, at first, when they prosecuted him, he was prosecuted by a jury of seven Puerto Ricans and five Americans, and he was acquitted with a vote of seven to five. But the judge who was presiding didn't approve of the verdict, so they called for a new trial, new jury, which consisted of 10 Americans and two Puerto Ricans, and they were declared guilty. So he was railroaded, and he spent 10 years of his life, uh, 11 years of his life in, in prison, where he became seriously ill and had to transfer to uh, the Columbus Hospital um, just so that he can get good care. Because otherwise, if he had stayed in jail, he probably wouldn't have made it. But when he was released from jail, he returned to Puerto Rico. And within a short period of time, he began preparing for an armed struggle against the U.S. where um, when the U.S. plan was to turn Puerto Rico into a commonwealth. So immediately after getting out of jail, immediately after getting out of jail, he was already down to, to, <laughs> to join the struggle and start fighting again. Now, in 1948, they passed a gag law which made it illegal to own or display a Puerto Rican flag, or even own, even in your home, to talk, it, it, it um, limited speech against the U.S. government or in favor of Puerto Rican independence. It prohibited one to print, publish, sell, or exhibit any material intended to paralyze or destroy the insular government or to organize any society, group, or assembly of people with a similar destructive intent, which is what it was stated. You could be fined 10 years imprisonment or a fine of $10,000 or both. So naturally, you know, with a law like this being passed, it was going to lead to rebellion and uprising. Just two years later, um, Pedro was jailed again on October 30th, 1950 um, because of revolts. Um, and these was known as the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party revolts of the 1950s, in which you know various cities and towns... Um, uh, were revolted who, who were against uh, U.S. rule and uh, one of the more known revolts uh, was uh, was a revolt where the Puerto Rican nationalists under the leadership of, uh, of Bianca Canales held the town of uh, I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this it sounds stupid but it looks like Jayua Jayua but they held the town for three days, which uh, culminated in what is known as the Utuado U- Massacre, <laughs> in which, but you know, can you imagine they held the town down for three days? It's like you know, you know, we hear in the songs, you know, rap songs where they talk about locking the town down. Like they legitimately locked the town down for three days. October 31st, um, you know, after the day after Pedro was jailed for the Nationalist revolts, police officers and the National Guard came and surrounded a barbershop because they thought that the Nationalists were there. And they surrounded the shop, opened fire inside the shop. The only person that was there was Pedro's barber, who held off 40 police officers for, for three hours he received five bullet wounds, including one to the head, but he survived it. And because he survived it, he became a hero, a legend on the island of Puerto Rico. Because, you know, I mean, you survive 40, 40 police for three hours and they just, you know, shooting around you, all around you. That is going to make you a, a legend, especially for those who are uh, fighting for independence. But um, 
while that revolt was happening, um, uh, Pedro was at the Nationalist Party headquarters um, in Old San Juan, which is also his um, his residence. And um, that building as well uh, was surrounded by police and a National Guard who, without warning, fired their weapons. And people were, were shot and people were shot and people were hurt because of this. But um, uh, Eli- uh, Pedro was uh, trapped inside his house with some of his friends during this time. But uh, one of his friends stayed with him until the, the attack um, you know, calmed down. But they were attacked not only with, with guns and with bullets, but they were attacked with, with gas. And it was so bad that they had to literally hold up a white towel attached to a pole for surrender. Otherwise, they would have kept shooting into the house and eventually they would have died. But anybody who was in the house during that time, they were all arrested, including Pedro. Um, on uh, in, in that same year, in 1950, two men tried to assassinate um, uh, Harry S. Truman, U.S. President, while he was, uh, he was staying at the Blair House in Washington, D.C., while the, high, while the White House was being renovated. And yeah, these two men, these two nationalists, tried to assassinate him. And because they tried to assassinate him, one of the men who tried was uh, killed. Um, one of the men in the police officer was killed. But because of this assassination attempt, uh, Pedro was immediately attacked at his home um, by the police. And after a shootout with the police, he was arrested and sentenced to uh, 80 years in prison. And over the next few days, 3,000 independent supporters were arrested all over the island because of these two men trying to assassinate a U.S. president. Now, he was pardoned in 1953 by the governor, um, uh, Louise Munoz Marin. But the pardon was revoked the following year after the 1953 nationalist attacks of the United States House of Representatives where four Puerto Rican nationalists who was led by a woman by the name of Lolita Lebron opened fire from the gallery of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. And even though Pedro was in bad health, he was arrested uh, when when uh, they unhurled a Puerto Rican flag, Lolita Lebron and, and other members who were with her unfurled a Puerto Rican flag and opened fire on the members of the 83rd Congress on March 1st, 1954, with the intention of capturing worldwide attention to the cause of the Puerto Rican independence. So he was imprisoned because of this. And during his imprisonment, his health started to deteriorate even further. And it was said that he was the subject of human radiation experiments. And even doctors confirmed that him and other prisoners were the subject of human radiation experiments. They uh, looked at, they saw signs and evidence on their bodies, uh, sores that were on his bodies and um, different symptoms that he had. Because uh, he, he mentioned how he had to wrap himself with wet towels to uh, shield himself from the radiation. And the prison guards even ridiculed him for it. But the doctors actually confirmed that him and other prisoners were, in fact, uh, test subjects for radiation by uh, while they were in prison, which further uh, deteriorated his health. He suffered a stroke in prison. Um, it was transferred to San Juan's Presbyterian Hospital. But 
you know, he stayed in that state for, you know, several more years. Uh, he was pardoned uh, a year before his death. Actually, a less than a year before his death, he was pardoned by the governor. Um, but he died in 1965. He was pardoned on uh, November 15, 1964, and he died April 21st, 1965. Uh, so at least before he died, he was able to be pardoned for um, any crimes that was falsely, you know, you know, put against them. Even though he did, um, you know, start armed struggle, there were some things. There were times when he was arrested, as we saw, as we see, where he was just arrested because of the fact that he was known to be um, a, a, a fighter for independence. So he was able to be pardoned a few months before he died to at least clear his name. Now his legacy lives on. I mean, there's, there are, are people who call him Puerto Rico's most visionary leader and one of the island's greatest patriots of the 20th century. But there are also, you know, critics who say that he failed to attract and offer concrete solutions to the struggling poor and working class people. So he was unable to spread his revolution to the masses. But uh, there are schools named after him in Chicago. There's community centers named after him in New York City and in Harlem. Puerto Rico, there are streets in uh, most of the municipalities that are named after him. So his legacy lives on, you know, even though... Um, you know, he died probably what was a horrible death, especially from that radiation poisoning. But he died at the age of 73 in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And, um, you know, he lived a life of, uh, he lived a life of, uh, of, of, of fighting, you know, fighting for independence, fighting for equality. So, you know, we highlight him today on Everyday Black History and honor of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month and uh, you know Pedro uh, Albizu Campos we salute you for your contribution to black history black culture that uh, our history is always a history of of uh, struggle and of overcoming that struggle and independence and equality and uh, you Pedro are a perfect example of that struggle so we salute you And that concludes this episode of Everyday Black History. And um, thank you all for listening. And please just continue to uh, tune in as we will continue to um, honor everyone of the African diaspora, Black Americans, Africans, Latinos of African descent. Uh, We honor everybody here who uh, is part of the diaspora who's contributed to our history and our culture. So just stay tuned for the next episode because we'll be having more Black History coming at you.